Hi everyone, welcome to Baby Steps Nutrition, a podcast that focuses on nutrition, health, and wellness for families of children of all ages and stages. I'm your host, Argavon Neil Forouge, a pediatric dietitian and mom of two young children. My goal is to bring you impactful information that you can apply every day in a simplified, practical form to make life easier. Now let's get into today's conversation. October was Mental Health Awareness Month. One group that is often overlooked in this discussion are moms, because women are taught to power through, focus and prioritize others before themselves, or what they're dealing with is not that big of a deal. Whether you're thinking, planning on becoming, or are a mom, we are here to discuss why maternal health absolutely matters. Let's get into today's story with our inspirational mompreneur guest and a topic that is not given the attention that it deserves. Allison Zart is a certified integrative nutrition health coach from the Institute of Integrative Nutrition with a specialization in women's hormone health. She also holds a Bachelor of Science in Mechanical Engineering and Physics from the University of Arkansas. She decided to switch gears from her 14-year role as an engineer to pursue nutrition. She's a mom of two young kids, and in 2018, Allison founded the Nutrition Doula, where she provides personalized nutrition coaching to preconceiving pregnant and postpartum moms. As she states, she provides care for pregnant and postpartum women with the power of food. Welcome, Allison. I'm so excited to have you here. I am so excited to be with, here with you today. Now, I, I am really about this. I'm so curious because you started out in engineering and then you switched gears to nutrition. Can you please tell us a little bit about why, how that happened? Yeah, yeah. I'm going to. It's a. It, it can be a long and complicated story, but I will um, go with the shorter version. Ultimately, my own experience um, going through my pregnancies and both postpartum periods is what drove me to make the switch overall. I mean, nutrition was always something that was a hobby of mine. Um, even before I was considering having kids, it was something that I was interested in and I studied a lot on my own. Um, and so I thought I knew a lot about it. And then with my first pregnancy, it seemed to all go out the window and everything that I knew that was healthy to do was making me sick and it, it was just rough. And so, uh, I got through that pregnancy basically surviving and eating what foods I could cause I had all these strange cravings and aversions and stuff like that. And was so excited to go into postpartum and getting back to eating what I thought was normal and healthy. And then, of course, uh, postpartum, I went back to eating the way I always had and ended up having some severe complications. I ha- ended up with extreme weight loss. My BMI like went below normal on the scale, so I was very underweight. Um, I ended up having to get kind of a medically supervised diet to try to get my weight back up. It was really a big problem. And whenever I was looking for information about nutrition postpartum, there was nothing available online. There was like a black hole. I couldn't find any information whatsoever. Um, So it became really hard for me to figure out and piece together what was an optimal diet for postpartum recovery for my situation. 
Um, I spent a lot of time doing that with my first. And um, then when it came time for me to have my second child, I was better prepared. Um, And at that point, I had actually dove into taking some nutrition classes, um, like official courses on it and learned more and started applying that when I was seven months pregnant with my second. And it was a night and day difference. Once I was finally getting the right kind of foods and the right kind of nutrients into my diet consistently, I felt better at eight months pregnant in the middle of August when it's mm. super hot than I had at any other point in any pregnancy. And my postpartum experience with my second one was a breeze compared to my first. I didn't have the weight loss problems. I didn't have the breastfeeding problems. I didn't have any of the postpartum depression or anxiety. Um, And I can really contribute that to my body getting the nutrients and vitamins and minerals and care that it needed to function correctly. And once I realized how critical the actual food was to all of this, I got really kind of angry because the information is not out there. We don't teach women how important this is. And it's so basic. You have to eat every day, no matter what. And if we just switch to, you know, this food instead of that food, you could have all of these, you know, things that we say are normal postpartum, like your, you know, baby blues and feeling awful. And, you know, they say, oh, yeah, you're a mom now. That's just how it is. Yes. And it doesn't have to be that way. And we don't provide women this information that it doesn't have to be that way. And so eventually I got to the point where, well, if no one's going to do something about it, then I'm going to do something about it. (laughs) And that's when I went back to school officially for the um, certification and started the business. I love that. So it's the whole concept of knowledge is power. And you Mm -hmm. took ownership of your own health and you felt more empowered to do that. And that obviously changed the trajectory of your motherhood experience the second time around. Mm-hmm, exactly. And so let's talk about pregnancy, labor, delivery. You know, you touched upon a good point. We know that many women in history who've come before us have gone through the process. We've had billions of people on the earth. So we think it's supposed to be normal. It's something that the body is designed to do. It's something that's expected. But so many of us experience it differently than what we may have seen or heard. Mm -hmm. So what happens to a woman's mind and body during this process of pregnancy and then labor and delivery? So that's kind of a complex question because you have all the physiological changes, Um, you know, the hormonal changes, you're, you're actually growing another human, the things like your blood volume doubling um, during that time frame. So there's all of that physical stuff that's going on, but there's also an emotional and mental side to it because of all of the society and societal pressure that we live in for like, what does being a mom mean to you? And um, what is a mom supposed to be? And am I a good mom? And am I doing this right? And all of those questions, um, which are compounded by the hormone fluctuations that we have going on when you have more, um, you can be more emotional and maybe you hadn't been that way before. Uh, there's all kinds of body image issues that come in as well because of diet culture that we've been raised in. So a lot of the stuff, a lot of the supposed to's or it should be like this or a mom is like that, like those definitions may not be like our own definition of what a mom is supposed to be. It may be something that 
you picked up from a movie when you were five years old or from watching like your parents or the neighbor down the street, but it may not actually be what you want or um, what your expectation is. And when those are in conflict, you end up just kind of in this confused state and maybe feeling like you should be one way when you actually deep down feel a different way and then feeling guilty because you're not the way that the media depicts moms need to be. And so there must be something wrong with you or things along those lines. So it's, it's really a journey of kind of coming to terms with what does it mean for you? And I don't think it stops necessarily just with pregnancy or delivery. I think it's an ongoing journey the entire time that you are a mother. Yes. And I remember when I had my first child, something that moms of older children told me is that the mom brain, you never go back to the way it was before kids. You're sort of in this permanent state. And I thought, well, that's odd. And what does that mean? But now I know exactly what that means. Mm -hmm. You're almost changed forever. Yes. Yes. Um, it's interesting though, because, so let's talk about the mommy brain for a minute. Cause we're all told that, yes, you know, pregnancy brain, your brain's just not working as good. Um, and you know, mommy brain postpartum, and you're just never going to think as good as you could before. You're never going to be as sharp as you were before. You're always going to forget things. Um, and this is one of those situations that where it's extremely common, it does not actually have to be normal and proper nutrition Um, will do a lot to reduce that symptom or even eliminate it completely. Um, Part of the reason why we end up with this mom brain is because of sort of under eating and not getting enough nutrients in. So we can't really run both sets of hardware simultaneously. Like your brain takes up a whole lot of energy and growing up a baby takes a whole lot of energy and your body's going to prioritize the baby. That's where mom brain comes in. So it's, interesting because we all believe it like oh yeah mommy brain's just a thing and you're gonna have to deal with it for the rest of your life um but the answer is you actually don't have to deal with it if you can get the right level of nutrients and nutrition in to help your brain function better i love that you said that and that you call food powerful because we know that food plays such an important role in providing calories yes but it's also in calming or comforting us And we know with having a baby, it's stressful, it's chaotic. Why do we crave certain foods over others? Or what are our cravings telling us? So um, usually, typically, if we're having a craving, it's coming from two, one of two spots. Either our body is actually lacking in some kind of nutrient or has a need that's not being met. And the craving is a, a food that ends up being high in that nutrient or something. So that's why we're craving it. Um, And the second reason is the craving could be filling an emotional gap that we have. So there's either a physiological gap or an emotional gap. So if you are craving a cupcake, for example, this is a really great example because, you know, cupcakes, diet culture tells us those are bad foods (laughs) and they're not right. We we shouldn't ever want a cupcake because that makes us a bad person, which is ridiculous. But um, say you're craving a cupcake. Okay. You could be craving it for to meet a physiological need. It could be that you didn't sleep well the night before, that you were extremely stressed the day before, that you're really, really tired, and that your body needs energy. And when your body needs energy, it's going to recra- crave things that give it quick sources of energy. If your blood sugar has tanked and it's super low, then you're going to be craving something that's going to spike your blood sugar back 
as quickly as possible. So you could be craving the cupcake because your body actually wants the sugar or wants the um, refined flour because that is a quick source of energy. It's going to boost your glucose levels. And glucose is what your brain uses to function. So that would be a physiological need for the cupcake. Um, The emotional side of things, it could be that you're feeling, you know, sad or in my case, um, there was times during my pregnancy where I was feeling extremely lonely. I'm um, here where we live. My family lives states away. Um, my husband's family is not close to here. He was on shift work. I would be by myself a whole lot. And, um, you know, and then I was craving cupcakes. And, you know, once I dug down into the depths of all of that, I was craving those because they, I was lonely. And when I had the cupcake, I got a serotonin boost and I didn't feel so bad anymore. Um, so they were like literally meeting an emotional need, um, for me and knowing that like, oh yeah, I remember when we first had these cupcakes, I was with my friends and it would make me think of like a happier time with them and it would make the loneliness go away. So you can, the cravings can come from either of those places. Either it's feeling and satisfying an emotional need for you, or it's feeling or satisfying a physiological need. Yes, and I love that you framed that from a from both of those perspectives because, you know, we, as you said, with diet culture, there's immediate guilt, there's immediate feeling of you know there's negativity associated with certain foods, and then that sometimes can spiral out of control and make things worse. But if you understand why, what is my body telling me? Why is it that it wants these things? You're going deeper, and then you're addressing the underlying issue. Mm-hmm. Rather than, you know, just sometimes you might think of it as a Band-Aid solution, but it's something deeper. Yeah, exactly. So in the cupcake situation, to meet those two needs without using the cupcake, not that you can't use the cupcake, but if you wanted to do something else, um, from the physiological side of things, we would want to be start, start prioritizing foods, um, more dense carbohydrates in your diet more regularly so that you had steady blood sugar for longer and had that energy that you need to function. Um, and that would reduce the overall cravings for the sugary things. Or if it was coming from the emotional side of things, like in my case, the loneliness, kind of stopping and recognizing, do I really want a cupcake right now or am I feeling lonely? And if I'm feeling lonely, is there another action that I can take that would meet that need that doesn't necessarily have to be this cupcake. Like, could I call a friend? Could I get on Zoom with somebody? Can I like, you know, go out and meet somebody for coffee? Those kinds of things could fill that emotional need um, instead of the cupcake. So not saying that you can't fill it with a cupcake if you don't choose to, but giving yourself the choice to fill it either this way or that way is coming from a much more empowered place and a much more mindful place than just, I keep eating cupcakes and I don't know why and I'm a bad person because I keep eating those. Yes, and we saw it with emotional eating and when the pandemic first happened and everybody was in lockdown, we certainly saw and heard a lot of that uh, from Mm -hmm. all across the board, children, adults. And so we now understand where that really comes from is there was a need that needed to be filled. And so when you're home and there's food and it's abundant, it's the first thing that you're going to go to. Yeah, exactly. Now, Allison, you mentioned about the postpartum mom body. You know, we see the bounce back images all over social media. I know it drives me so crazy. 
when I read comments and people will use words like flawless or metabolism or, you know, lucky you, this is what I've been trying. And then people really just beating themselves up over not being able to live up to that expectation. What words or advice do you have for those listeners? Because I'm unfortunately, you know, social media has driven up this comparison mm-hmm. and this need yeah. for perfection. Yeah, exactly. Um, well, first, it's invoking a very emotional response in us, right? Mm-hmm. So taking a step back and going a little bit over more to the rational side, the logical side of your brain, um, and recognizing that social media images are not real. They're, they're usually doctored, right? It's a highlight reel, like t- reminding yourself of those um, instances, those things is super important. Um, the second thing is to, you know, maybe explore some stories from, from women who appear to have, have bounced back, for example. Um, and in reality, they could be dealing with things like, um, postpartum Graves disease or, um, postpartum, you know, excessive weight loss like I was. And so they look like they bounce back. They look nice and skinny, but in reality, they're, you know, underweight, they're feeling unhealthy, they barely have the energy to function, like it's not all rainbows and unicorns. And this is what happens when we judge somebody by the body that they're in. And we say that this body is healthy, and that body is not. Um, The actual science and data shows us that the body body size and weight is not correlated with health, not at all. Um, In fact, People who are considered by the BMI in like the overweight or obese categories um, actually have lower risk for health problems when it's uh, levelized than people who are in the normal. And their risk uh, for people who are underweight is like six times higher than for people who are in like the gravely obese category. So when we're idolizing these like super skinny bodies, it's backwards from like a health perspective. Um, but that all being said, this whole bounce back thing, there's this weird thing out in society that, I mean, we talked about it like, oh yeah, women have babies and whatever. They just have the baby and they shoot it out and then they're fine. They're back to, right. They don't, we don't talk about the actual birth and pregnancy as a trauma on the body, which it really is. Like once you've had the baby and the placenta is out you have a you have your postpartum bleeding, right? And everyone's like, yeah, whatever, you bleed, po- whatever, not a big deal. You're bleeding because there's a wound that's the size of like a grapefruit mm-hmm. in your uterus that's open and bleeding. And could you imagine if somebody had something that that was that size, open an open sore that was bleeding out on their thigh? Like, how would you treat them if you could visibly see that wound? Mm-hmm. Would you be like, bounce back, go to the grocery store? Why aren't you at the gym yet? Like, why aren't you wearing your skinny, skinny jeans? You haven't had a shower. Like, would you be doing that to somebody? Or would you be saying, you need to rest? Let me give you something to nourish. Why don't you do nothing but sleep? Can I get you anything? Can, can you heal? Like, I don't want you walking on that leg. Like, but for women postpartum, because I guess it's internal and because people don't actually get taught about the physiology of what's going on we have these absolutely unrealistic expectations on ourselves. Totally. And I remember for myself, I thought, well, 
you know, what you see in here again are you give birth, you know, it's a it's a very high calorie burning process. And then, you know, if you're breastfeeding, also that in addition can burn calories and then the weight comes off. And what I experienced from myself is that actually that was not the case. And I was fuller. And I mean, uh, just with hips, thighs, you know, breasts for a longer time and mm-hmm. the weight wasn't coming off. And I wasn't putting pressure on myself to get it off quickly, but I noticed, wow, my body is really holding on to this extra fullness, even though I feel like I'm eating healthy, I'm walking, I'm, you know, of course I wasn't getting enough sleep and I realized, well, it's the, you know, at the end of the day, labor and delivery, it's a shock to the system. Bringing home a baby is something that none of us have prepared for. The chronic sleep deprivation in itself is huge. And then, you know, if you have a baby that's crying endlessly, so your body is constantly in that state of shock. And so I think when that happens, it's retaining all those calories. And if you're also not eating enough, your Mm -hmm. body is then thinking, oh my gosh, I'm being deprived. So you're actually going to hold on to every single calorie more than if you were well rested and if you were exercising and if you were eating healthy, basically if you hadn't just given you know, birth to a baby. Mm-hmm. And I think yeah. those are all the things like we, we learned after it happened. And you know, I didn't give enough bearing to it until I lived it myself. Yes. Yeah. And you kind of hit the nail on the head. Um, Weight is so much more than calories in, calories out. And we'd like to believe like the, um, you know, non-biological scientists is like, nope, it's just an energy balance equation. Um, However, the, the thing about how the human body works is that we are more controlled by hormones than, um, than just like food goes in, food goes out. So while, Yes, the laws of physics are that, you know, energy has to be conserved. Our energy in and energy out equation is changing on a day-to-day basis based off of what your hormones are doing and how and that's actually adjusting like how much energy your body is using, how much energy your body is retaining and all all of that. In addition to that, the kinds of foods that you're eating trigger the hormones that you produce to then cause changes. So like 100 calories of food A is not going to have the same effect on the body as 100 calories of food B. And um, we're, you know, want to be told that all calories are made equal, and that's not the case uh, at all. They react differently with the body, and your body uses them in different manners, creates different things out of them. So when um, we are postpartum, and I work with a lot of clients who are breastfeeding, and they're actually gaining weight while breastfeeding, so they end up back at their you know, pregnancy weights instead Mm -hmm. of losing weight. And they're like, what the heck? I was Mm -hmm. promised that this was going to be some kind of magical weight loss panacea. And here I am like weighing the same amount as I did in my third trimester and the baby's on the outside, like what gives? And you definitely hit all of the points there. First of all, the sleep, the sleep deprivation that we go through and the chronic lack of sleep um, will cause you to gain weight. That is, um, They've done studies of people like with sleep apnea, for example, who once they get onto, so sleep apnea is a condition where you have interrupted sleep throughout the night constantly. You don't get, you don't get well, good sleep. You're not well rested. You don't get the deep sleep that you need to heal and restore your body. Um, and once people are in treatment and they're starting to get deep sleep, their weight drops 
Mm. significantly without changing anything else in their life. They haven't changed their diet. They haven't changed their exercise routine. They haven't changed their jobs. All they're doing is getting the deep sleep and their weight goes down. Um, So we know that not getting enough quality sleep is one of the things that contributes to, um, to weight gain. The other instance, the most common thing that I see is being overfed and undernourished. So when we are, um, and this is, has to deal with when you're like constantly hungry while you're breastfeeding and you just can't stop eating. You're, you feel like a bottomless pit, mm-hmm. but then you're gaining a whole lot of weight. It's because the foods that we're eating are foods that may be high in calorie content, but not high enough in nutrient content um, for our bodies to function well. So our brain is seeing that I don't have enough of this vitamin or this mineral or things like that. I need, I need to get more of it and it makes you hungry. Um, and then you go eat something that still doesn't contain the vitamin or mineral that you need because it's like not nutrient dense foods or, you know, not optimal foods for postpartum. And you're, so your brain's like, okay, well, here's a bunch of calories that I didn't need, but um, I'm still hungry because I didn't get the thing that I wanted. And so once we switch over to foods that are more nutrient dense and providing all the building blocks that we need, um, often I'll see my breastfeeding clients you know, eating, um, getting rid of that hunger, like feeling full, feeling satisfied, and the weight starts to come off because they're not overeating on calories anymore. Okay, well, let's talk about those nutrition tips. So we know the expression hangry, which is extremely mm-hmm. hungry. And a lot of moms who've given birth, I've been there myself, you constantly feel hungry all day. So you're snacking, you're grazing, but you still don't feel full. What are your nutrition tips for them? Yeah, so the uh, I have actually have a guide, and I can get you a link to that um, for the show notes if you want to. You guys, I would can, love that. Uh, sign it up because this is a really common question. So um, the guide gives you all of the things that you need to eat and change um, to stop being hangry, feel full um, when you are postpartum and breastfeeding. The Ultimate goal of what we want is to be getting those more nutrient-dense foods in. So number one thing that um, can be done to help set up your entire day for success is a good breakfast. And I I know that people hear that and the first thing they do is like, oh, they groan because who has time for breakfast? Nobody has time, right? Um, But in reality, if you can get yourself a breakfast that has adequate amount of protein in it, um, enough vegetables in it. That's right. I said vegetables at breakfast mm-hmm. for real. The green ones, the green ones, because those ones help keep your blood sugar balanced. They help balance your hormones and they keep you, um, your brain working well throughout the day. So those, and then a significant amount of complex carbohydrates in the morning. If you can get a breakfast with that in it, and we're talking a large meal, like larger than your dinner um, when possible. So for if you do that for breakfast, what that does is it sets your blood sugar up to stay stable throughout the rest of the day, which again prevents you from having those um, blood sugar spikes and dips, which causes your hunger to go up. So that would be the first um, thing to add in. The um, next thing to do is to look at all of your foods from a nutrient density perspective. So like how um, a nutrient density is, is basically measuring the amount of micronutrients per calorie in a food. So if it has um, a whole lot of micronutrients and not very many calories, then that's considered nutrient dense. And if it's 
um, a whole lot of calories, but not very many micronutrients, then that would be the opposite. So we're looking for making every bite count when it comes to your vitamins and micronutrients that you need to eat. Um, because again, we're busy. We're chasing mm-hmm. around kids. We don't have time to take more than like a bite or two of this granola bar, right? And try to we're trying to fuel our day on that. It doesn't work. Um, but if our bite or two that we're managing to get in is full of the healthy fats that you need and the protein that you need and the vitamins and minerals that your body needs to make your hormones and balance your blood sugar and actually like work and repair tissue, then um, that's going to do a whole lot more for you than, you know, a cookie. Yes. And Allison, just going back to breakfast, because I know that's a big meal. As you said, it's an important meal. But Mm -hmm. for moms, dads too, who've been up all night with a baby, they haven't had a good night's sleep. So the days just roll into nights and the nights Mm -hmm. roll into day. How do you feel about quicker uh, foods that you can prepare in advance, prepare in bulk? For example, smoothies or overnight chia pudding, anything like Mm -hmm. that? Yeah, I'm, I'm a big proponent of those, actually. So um, to, you have to be mindful for the recipe that you're using when it comes to these things. A lot of smoothies, for example, can end up uh, not having the right balance of uh, fat, protein, and carbs in them. And they could be heavy on like kind of the sugar and that will cause like a blood sugar spike and crash, especially if your smoothie is made like entirely with fruit. Um, so it just needs to be mindful that the recipe is getting you enough volume uh, and calories and the hitting the right macronutrient levels. But, um, you know, with the, like, I love the chia seed puddings. Uh, I have several oatmeal recipes that we will use for like overnight oats for clients. So I'm a big proponent of preparing things in advance um, for breakfast for that reason, because yeah, sitting down and actually cooking all of that in the morning is a lot um, if you're trying to get the vegetables in a breakfast, which, you know, is my big push, I would guess mm-hmm. what, uh, my clients typically will do is we'll roast like your two pounds of vegetables, um, on a Sunday night and pre-portion them in Tupperwares. And then in the morning, it's just pull one out and zap it. So it's just as fast as, as a smoothie, um, to get that component in. So there's, there's ways to do it with the meal prepping so that you can, you know, not have to be a personal chef in the morning while your baby's hungry and you haven't showered and all of that stuff. I love that. So you made a good point about balance because that matters with food, the balance of nutrients and and the breakdown of the calories. You don't want to just consume it, but you want to know in what amount. And then I love that you brought up meal preparation. That's something that's often overlooked, underestimated. And those who've gotten into a regular routine say it's life-changing. Mm-hmm. So do you yeah. have tips for the busy moms, the tired moms and dads in terms of meal prepping? So you, you said pick a day of the week. Yeah, yeah. Actually, um, in my in my programs, whether you do like a membership program or um, one-on-one program, I teach a meal planning method, um, which is, it's amazing and super fast. So my first, my first thing for meal prepping is you need to have the plan before you do the prepping. Because what what happens if you go into just, I'm going to prep a bunch of meals without having a plan in advance, it becomes sort of chaotic and takes a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, so meal, meal plan first, and that often does a whole lot to 
kind of inform you for what needs to be prepared and what doesn't and how you can do it quickly or not quickly. Um, but from once you have the plan and kind of know what you need to do, then it really depends on what works best for your family. Some families um, can spend like an hour or two hours on a Sunday, cut everything up, portion it all into like the different containers and the whole week's worth of meals done. And it's great. Um, some families can't spend that much time because they have, um, you know, a fussy baby or just too busy of a schedule, but they can spend, you know, 15 minutes every night to mm. prep something for the next morning. So it really depends on your personal um, family situation. And that's one of the things that I like work exclusively with clients on is to how are we going to get this? We know that we need to prep, but how are we going to make prep work for you and your lifestyle so you can stick to it? Because if I'm like, yeah, everybody needs to prep for two hours on Sunday and you try it, but it doesn't work for your lifestyle. And after a week or two weeks or three weeks, you're going to just not be able to do it anymore. And then feel like, oh, well, I'm a failure because I can't do this. And no, you're not a failure. The plan's a failure for you because it's not the right plan for you. Mm -hmm. So it's, um, you know, there's a lot of different methods that we can can use. And it really depends on who's available for that yeah, and, and what your time looks like. And with meal preparation, I hear two things. So it's either, oh, it's just so overwhelming. I know the value of it. I'd love to do it. But it just sounds like there's just too much involved. So then they're back to the daily grind and, you know, the survival from day to day. And then mm -hmm. I also hear people who get really excited. They get all the new containers. They get all the recipes. And then they gain momentum for like a week or two. And then the excitement dies off. And then they go back to, you know, oh, what's for dinner? Or what am I doing today? Or I'm hungry. And then they just grab whatever is available. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's nothing worse than having like done all this meal prep on Sunday, and then something happens on Thursday. And like, you don't eat the prepped food, and you end up throwing it out. Like, oh, it's the worst. So um, that's exactly why we have to come up with kind of the, the solution that works mostly for your family. Yes. Um, Especially so when you're giving so much, as you said, nutrition is fuel. So you have to take care of yourself first, put on your oxygen mask first before you can take care of someone else. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Which actually brings me to the concept of this village. So historically, and in an ideal world, we would all have a village to help raise our children. But we know that all over the world, especially in developed countries, this does not exist for so many moms and dads. How have you seen this shift impact the newer generation of parents? And I know we're part of that generation for sure. Mm -hmm. It's, um, you know, I feel like it's been really lonely and isolating. Those are mm -hmm. the two words that, that come to mind. And, and, but at the same time, I'm really proud of, uh, like, I would say the millennial moms and, and, um, basically this generation because we're finally talking about it and mm -hmm. saying that, Hey, it's not okay. This is not okay. Like I'm struggling. You're struggling. We're all struggling. Like we're not going to hide behind this 1950s housewife, you know, imagery and admit that this is hard and that we're kind of all in this together. So mm -hmm. seeing a little bit of, you know, Online villages pop up, you know, neighborhood villages pop up, like between friends and, and things along those lines. That's always, 
that's always amazing when we can do that. Um, and I think the other part about, you know, kind of losing that sort of ancestral village piece is things like ex- exactly what I teach, things like the nutrition used to be built into the fabric of how we did things. And the mom was able to recover and people brought the right kinds of foods for her to recover and took their shifts with the baby and all of that. And now all of that's gone. And that's why we're seeing an increase in stuff like postpartum depression and anxiety and why it's so much harder now than it used to be. It's this generational knowledge about, you know, which foods to eat postpartum has sort of disappeared and that level of care has sort of disappeared because it's just never been seen as something important. I feel like it was, you know, the invisible workload that was being carried by uh, women throughout history for how to birth and care for other women. And in the last, you know, 50 to 100 years, we've just industrialized and lost a lot of that. And it was never really um, prioritized or woven into modern um, medicine society, that kind of thing. So that's one of my biggest goals is to start bringing it back. Yes. And you said something so important. And that's one of the things that I wanted to talk about on this episode. Or you said postpartum depression. And that happened, as you say, or is happening because a lot of people don't have the village and then everything else that comes from that. Can you tell our listeners what the differences between postpartum blues and postpartum depression are? And when would you suggest a new mom seek professional support? Yeah, so uh, I'm going to answer this with the preface that I am not a psychologist. And so this is um, coming from just me as one mom to another. Mm-hmm. Um, the the baby blues the, the that you get from right after birth where you kind of have that drop in progesterone that happens when you deliver the placenta and you're just kind of like, whoa, that that period um, shouldn't be very long. We're talking like a week, um, maybe two. And if you were wondering, hmm, maybe not everybody feels this way, or if you're wondering, like, maybe I wonder if I could be depressed, or if you're sitting there saying, like, why do I feel like an alien in my body? Like, who is this controlling my mind because it's not me? Mm-hmm. If any of those thoughts go through your mind, then you need to talk with your um, OB or your doctor as soon as possible because those are all signs that you have something more going on than the baby blues. And so you're going to need a medical professional to diagnose it, but never ever say like that. Oh, I feel like a crazy person, but like all new moms must be crazy because that's what they say online. So I, whatever, I guess I'm going to suffer through it. Like if the question has risen in your mind, like even a little inkling of maybe something's not quite right, then please bring it up. Yes. And I think it's important to highlight that it is a hormonal imbalance or shift and it has nothing to do with not being capable or having low tolerance or not having skills equipped to be a mom, but it just something is happening inside your body and it's affecting your mind. And that's not something you should be handling on your own. Yes. Yeah. Like get the support that you deserve. You deserve the support. You deserve to be able to feel um, normal, you deserve to be able to function. It doesn't make you, you know, we have to stop this 
narrative that he, she who sacrifices the most loves the most because mm-hmm. that's kind of how they they have put moms up on a pedestal and like oh if you sacrifice everything and give everything to 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 everyone else then that makes you a good woman or a good mom and that's bullshit mm-hmm. you deserve to be cared for just as as much as your children do yes i love that you said that Allison, what is the nutrition doula philosophy? So overall, it's that we can do incredible things to care for ourselves through the power of just real food, actual food that you can get in the grocery store that you can pronounce and that you know how to cook can do wonders for caring for yourself and making your transition into motherhood easier. You don't need these fancy supplements. You don't need these shakes. You don't need any of that other stuff. And by just making small, very small, simple changes, you can have huge impact in your quality of life, in the way that you're feeling, in the way that you show up as the mom and the wife and the friend and whatever that you want to be in your life. Um, And it can all be done really through what you are eating. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't have to be hard. I, that's exactly my philosophy too, Allison. Hence, uh, baby steps. Mm-hmm. C- celebrate the small wins. And small actually goes a long way too. Yes, it's really the only way to get there. That's my, yes. with, that's my philosophy. With coaching so many women, I have seen over and over again that whenever we try to make something that's a big change, it doesn't work. And it's the baby steps that that really have the biggest impact over time. Yes, perfectly said. Allison, how could our listeners find out more about you and your practice? Um, well, they can uh, visit my website, which is thenutritiondoula.com, or find me on Instagram. I'm very active on there. Um, my account is at thenutritiondoula. Um, I also have a Facebook group, which if you find me on Instagram uh, and go through the links in my bio, it will get you over to that group as well. Or send me an email. Perfect. And I will include all of those information plus your recommended resources in the show notes so that they're easily accessible for our listeners. Okay. That would be amazing. Allison, thank you for being here to speak on a topic that so many moms have experienced, yet it is not widely talked about. Yeah, You're I'm not- so glad to have been able to talk to you. <laughs> Thank you. And I hope our listeners can take away from this conversation with understanding, validation, compassion for the challenges of being a parent. And please know that while it is okay to not be okay, please don't suffer alone, especially when things feel unbearable. And there are resources out there, especially your healthcare provider and other ones that we are happy to provide you in the show notes. Thank you everyone for tuning in. Until next time. Thank you for listening to the Baby Steps Nutrition Podcast with your host, Argavan Nilforush. We hope you enjoyed our deep dive into all the tips and tricks you and your family can use to make daily life a little easier. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to support the podcast, please leave a rating and review, share with others, and follow us on social media. Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Baby Steps Nutrition Podcast. As always, you can head over to babystepsnutrition.com to sign up for our email list, as well as check out all the links and resources in the show notes. 
see you next time. Tune in, feel great.